Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people who are helping autistic adults and teens become more successful. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. The great Bob Marley once said that being vulnerable is the only way to allow your heart to feel true pleasure. I know for my life that is certainly the case, and that is why I enjoyed so much talking with autistic poet Josh Corwin about Becoming Vulnerable, his just-released poetry collection. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also appreciate if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Josh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Doug. It's a pleasure to be here. Wanted to start off by learning where does your story in the autism community begin? I'm not sure. You know, I think that we're all part of this world and we're figuring things out. You know, I was diagnosed at five with autism also then uh with adhd and later on with anxiety and uh processing uh disorder at six and i find that for me i got more involved around the time of high school i started this uh co-started this thing called vista inspired teens that was the first of its kind i believe of southern cali uh, in all of southern california um, to kind of have individuals do fundraising as well as put on different events and have neurodiverse individuals as well as just all individuals. So it kind of combined these typical and atypical forces together. I, you know, those labels don't really mean too much, but that kind of got me more involved with that. And I didn't really become more into the autistic community, and I hope the autistic uh, addicts in recovery community, um, which is a growing community and there's not much about going on with that until just about, you know, right after I graduated school about a year, uh, a year ago. So less than a year ago in uh, from Pitzer College, which was in 2019 in uh, May. And I found that for me, I ended up just, I didn't even realize that I was going to become more involved in this area. I had no clue that I was going to be writing a book. I find that all things come by accident. <laughs> all great things come by accident by not thinking too hard about it. Because for me, I can be incredibly hard on myself as I, I know a lot of people can. And I realized, you know, as somebody who's, you know, recovering from uh, addiction and a neurodiverse individual uh, on on the autism spectrum. And I started compiling this, a few pieces of uh, some poetry because a professor, you know, right before graduation had told me, you know, one of your poems you shared with me was really good. It, it, he said, phenomenal, you should submit it. And... I thought, wow, okay, let me put this into a book about some stuff in order to honor my grandfather, who was 
he was getting and starting to pass away around that time. Um, and uh, as he was failing, and he always wanted me to put out my work into the world and let me do this to honor him. I started compiling and I started writing. And really, I thought, like, you know, l- let me, I realized that a lot of this book also uh, was not just in, uh, to honor my grandfather, but uh, as well with regard to autism and addiction, sobriety and spirituality, which are kind of like themes and aspects in my life. And life is a nonlinear path. So things kind of evolved from there. I knew uh, Elaine Hall, the CEO and founder of the Miracle Project, from uh, when I was in high school doing uh, doing the Vista Inspired Teens. And so I hit Elena just in about November, and we were chatting, and I think it was maybe a bit before November for last year, and I shared with her about this book and what I'm doing, and I had re- and used one of the poems from it, the update, which I think we might discuss a bit more, as a driving force to be like, hey, uh, I'd love to do a class uh, with your organization, The Miracle Project, uh, an autism nonprofit that is uh, located in Beverly Hills, California. And let's do something with poetry and self-exploration you know, for autistic addicts in recovery and other neurodiverse individuals. So this is really, it's been quite a nonlinear path and involvement in the autistic community. So there's something that we share in common in that we both host podcasts. You recently, yes. <laughs> yeah, you recently started uh, your podcast. What is your podcast about, and how can people go about listening to it? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, and and thank you. Yes, we do have that in common, Doug. My podcast is um, Assiduous Dust, so it's spelled a little A S S. I-D-U-O-U-S, and then next word is dust, D-U-S-T, much easier than assiduous. And that is, it's about, it's a poetry podcast, and I think I can explain what it's about by saying how it started. Like all great things, it started by accident. I was going to be interviewed by someone in around January, for a poetry podcast. I was very excited and yay, I'm going to do this. And 15 minutes before I was going to go on and we were to record, uh, he hit me up saying, you know, I'm not feeling like doing this stuff anymore. I'm shutting it down. And he felt discouraged. And so, you know, I've gotten into meditation a lot. Lately, went from five seconds to build up to 45 minutes in the morning as a practice. I meditated for 15 minutes and just, boom, let me get calm, peaceful. And then I ended up going and just getting gathered and called them back and said, hey, you know, I completely understand and thank you. I hope everything's all right. And he said, you know, Josh, you have a lot of vivacity. You should um, start your own podcast. So I literally right then and there was like, okay, let me take direction from the universe. So I sent out to a bunch of people 
so it's all spontaneous, all by accident. Uh, a lot of people on, on Facebook Messenger who are poet people, yeah, you know, I'm doing this podcast thing. Would you like to be on? And took it off from there. So there ended up being on the spot poems and kind of collaborate from something uh, where we kind of do that in a bit of an interview format. But I didn't realize what I was doing at the time. A bunch of people then responded later on after I put that episode up saying, hey, I'd love to do it. A lot of um, some more well-known people or individuals, and I guess word kind of spread around as a result of that. So it's like, okay, let me do a second episode. Let me hone it more where there's an interview and people can promote their work. And it's all done off the cuff without any preparation whatsoever other than the, the guest puts out a few random books and they flip to random pages and wherever their eyes glance upon words, they read those words. And I do the same from my end with a few random books put out. And wherever my eyes glance at, I read those random words. And we string them together to have some like weird random line, which I call word sento. And we go back and forth doing it, which is something called exquisite corpse in poetry. So combining that, I call it an OTSCP, on-the-spot collaborative poem. And so that kind of became the trademark of assiduous dust, as well as a place to promote other individuals' work and to do it all in the form of of spontaneity and connection. Something else that's new for you is your, and you've talked about it, um, is your debut poetry collection. Uh, becoming vulnerable. I, I love to learn why people name things. So why did you settle on that title for your debut poetry collection? John, thanks. Uh, yes, my, my book. Uh, I also want to say that with regard to the um, Assiduous Dust, you can find it at my website, which you can also find my book, Becoming Vulnerable, at www.joshuacorwin.com. You can also find um, the podcast. Sorry that I didn't mention this. You can find it elsewhere at, uh, on you know, Spotify or uh, Anchor or wherever is your favorite podcast media. Uh, it's great how they do these things. Now, with Becoming Vulnerable, I, had, I couldn't see that there was be any other option of a title. The book is literally about me being vulnerable. It's about my experience with autism, addiction, sobriety, and spirituality. It is about my life. It is poetry in the form of a memoir, which I expressed and released for the world so that others could become vulnerable within the margins to explore their own life's journey. Everything in this book has aspects that pertain exactly to me there's a poem in there called The Update, and that literally is about something that happens to me. Um, I talk about, um, you know, my grand, you know, honoring my grandfather um, and his passing away. So I couldn't see that there's any other way to title it anything but that. And I think that's a good way to look at things is to await for the muse or whatever to intuitively inspire our words, our gifts, our talents. And that's 
is in essence becoming vulnerable, which is something that is perceived as a weakness, I guess. Uh, sometimes by some people, it, it's misconstrued as a weakness. But in truth, I found that vulnerability is in fact my greatest strength. And I think that leads me to connect uh, to my humanity, which is where I kind of am able to be most of service and useful using my challenges and my struggles. And I really get to get to and enjoy the process of life. And it's something that I'm learning more to do, not just as someone who's a recovering addict and on the autism spectrum, but also as a human being. You mentioned the update, and it's certainly a powerful and thought-provoking poem in so many different oh, ways. If you wouldn't mind, could you read that poem for our listeners today? Yeah, absolutely. And then I'd love to, if uh, you know, share a few things about it more. But I would absolutely love to. It would be my honor. The update. I tread transgressions against how far I've come as a kid diagnosed on the autism spectrum at the age of five and processing delay at six along with anxiety disorder and ADHD, I don't want to repeat circles with my feet, one smaller and the other. Reminds me of my mind. Neurotypical, also alcoholic, thank God I'm sober, but that's another story. Like a pacifist in rage, I need to accept my brain chemistry, but persevere. Circles, those feet, make them quake and color loses its vivacity like the squeamish self i am just see me at the doctor please don't i'm embarrassed by how i fade oh it's so hard to fit in when you're hardwired to differ range like a spectrum of shapes i circle but I transcend because I do. I have these fits usually every three months or so, sometimes once a year. It comes from acting typical when you're atypical. Did I tell you I had to learn thousands of idioms? I thought when someone said it's raining cats and dogs that it was. Flashcards of rules. I don't want to rock back and forth as I pass on going out the door because I am now the floor, unable to speak when I have so much to say. That happens every now and then. And my feet repeat themselves in circles around a shape, a square, or a rectangle, or a circle perfect. The kitchen table where dad is late because he's paying the bills so I can get the therapy I need speech therapy to learn idioms like it's raining cats and dogs i feel like it's raining cats and dogs the words and screams of atypicality in dysfunctional family ways words invented i have so much to hear i have so much to say i'm trying not to repeat the circle and fall on the ground but perhaps Putting on the guise 
and persevering like I do, perhaps I need to fall. Perhaps I need to circle. How else could I draw the line of when it's time to stop the update? Thank you. You mentioned uh, circling a lot in, in the update as a result of having to act typical when you're atypical. And I've interviewed many people on autism stories where they talked about the challenges of having to act typical when you're atypical. A lot of them, you know, a lot of people talk about that as masking. Are, are, there, some, right. yeah. are there some common situations or experiences for you that are more likely to cause you to circle? That, that's the thing. I really don't know. It's really anything, anything that makes me, uh, I guess, anxious. But also, if I'm not respecting my own intuitive voice or intuitive guide, and, and we all have this inner, I believe, you know, voice. This, it, I find that for me, meditation is incredibly helpful to be more aware of it. You know, there's one that kind of tells us all these negative things, and we have our parent voice. You know, we have the voice from our parents. We have our voice of expectations. We have all these different voices inside of ourselves. And we wonder how every single person on the planet isn't schizophrenic. Not that there's anything wrong with schizophrenia. I know quite a few people who are brilliant individuals. But schizophrenia are different forms of psychosis. And I find that for me, sometimes I'll physically circle and it's a way of stemming. Sometimes I do this thing where I'll kind of pick my head or other things. But a lot of it is because I feel like I'm not honoring the true internal inner child voice inside of me and following the trajectory of a certain layout that I start to build up this ex these expectations. And because I, you know, for my autism or whatnot, I, I feel so deeply, so many feelings, all these things. I have thoughts racing. I look at the world in many different ways. So as a result of it, I kind of put on this mask and go about things sometimes. And sometimes it becomes so overwhelming. And I would like to highlight that the circles aspect, I think, is less, though it's an important thing, it's also less important than the other aspect of literally falling on the floor and losing the ability to speak and articulate like I'm doing with you now, because that's what happens every year or three months or more so as well. I literally, sometimes I'll start circling with that or whatnot. But then I will literally lose body motion and like body control and I'll start to go on the floor and I won't be able to get back up and I won't be able to articulate. And I've had it before when I'm on the phone with someone I trust or my therapist and, and this has happened. I've had it in, you know, near almost before I get into my home where I find I'm safe. I lose all ability to speak. I'm now immobilized and I'm on the floor. And it is incredibly scary. And what this poem, the update in writing it, because it was originally titled Circles, focusing on the aspect of circling, as well as me physically circling to STEM, as well as me, um, we, we all circle. We have this, this non-linear trajectory in life that similarly models the way the, the, the autistic mind, at least my autistic mind, thinks. 
whatever that means to have an autistic mind, that point A to point B to point C to point D, there's no clear outline of knowing how things relate. And that's because I think in terms of webs, I don't think in this linear outline process. So let me honor the circle and honor that regression in my life narrative doesn't have this particular way that things are supposed to look like A, B, C, D, this is what you're supposed to do in this situation. This is supposed to do in this situation. Because in reality, nobody on this planet knows everything and nobody on this planet knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing at any time. We're all scared little children going about the world trying to figure things out, which is a hard truth to swallow. But through that, we become similar. And so if anybody relates to this, Sometimes it can be overwhelming because you feel like you ought to know and ought to be able to navigate your life. And sometimes it becomes too overwhelming. And like me, you fall on the floor and you can't articulate when you have so much to say and you have so much to hear and others to hear of you. And I, through writing this poem, realized at the end of the day, this isn't just, a, it's not the circles part that's more important. In here is a message that, wow, in order to deal with the world, I fall on the floor and I have these things. It's an update. So next time when this happened and I literally lost the ability to articulate and I fell on the floor for an hour time or however long, I was literally able to reflect on my entire life up to that moment and feel gratitude rather than super, super excruciatingly painful fear. And that's from where, um, from that idea is why I went to Elaine Hall and said, I'd like to use this poem as a, uh, as a, and the idea behind this and from this book, Becoming Vulnerable as a jumping off point for Ad Poet Society, which is the class that is currently open for registration. I think there are a few limited spots with the Miracle Project for uh, using poetry as a form of self-exploration, you know, neurodiverse and autistic addicts in recovery, so that we can all grow and kind of be more comfortable and realize that vulnerability, it's, it's the strength and, you know, also that we're all circling in a way, you know, we're all doing it just some ways. It's just not as visible. And sometimes you can't see that other people are mentally on the floor rather than physically. Now, you mentioned in the update about uh, being sober. So certainly congratulations mm, yes. on that. Thank is, you. Thank you. Is there much of a connection for you between... <laughs> alcoholism and being autistic or is it much more complicated than that for you right um yeah it is much more complicated but i can i because again i'm not a medical professional i'm not a doctor i may have studied a bit of neuroscience and done some stuff of uh you know on philosophy of mind and cognitive neuroscience and done a thesis in that area an undergrad thesis but I, i'm not a medical professional i'm not a doctor i can't say to that um but i can say that i've noticed that a lot of people and i think this is like really important that a lot of people of as you know doug you know um don't you know people don't really understand autism and they think um some of them are 
with all the most intentions, they think of someone as autism as this way or that way. And you think of someone who is unable to go about their life and is completely different and divorces that connection to be able to relate and grow with other individuals with autism. And there's a similar thing that a lot of people have a conception that, oh, I didn't realize people with autism could be addicted to drugs or alcohol. What? And that is a lot of it. It's not that they're just malicious and don't think that or or whatever. It's that it's uh, naivete and part of the stereotypes that we think about because it's how we look at autism. And I find that for me particularly, I gravitate more towards my drug of choice was for marijuana. And I think that makes logical sense because if you, I'm no doctor, but, and there are many different people on the autism spectrum who have different drugs of choice. But for me personally, and I know a few other individuals, their drug of choice was marijuana. And maybe one day people will do some more research on this and see that if I'm feeling so much and I'm taking in so much sensory stimulation and information that it becomes overwhelming, of course I'm going to gravitate towards marijuana to dole that down and make things cool and chill. It just seems like that would also quell the voices, quell a lot of stuff. Of course I'm not a medical professional and I don't know. So I do think that there will be more studies in the future, should there be grants and research for it, to look and explore the connection between uh, marijuana uh, addiction and individuals with autism. Not saying that one causes the other, that there's causation or pure correlation, but what can we do to help the autistic addict so we can be helpful and useful in that area because in fact there are people that are being turned away from certain specialists because there's so much overlap in symptoms for uh uh you know the, the addiction the addict personality and um a lot of the uh what's expressed with someone on the spectrum and as a result of that some professionals are as qualified because there's not enough research being done about this connection unfortunately and they're being turned away as from being seen from a specialist. And I think that that needs to be changed. Um, so we need more understanding and, and kind of see, first off, we need to realize that autism doesn't mean X. It doesn't mean Y. But there's a whole spectrum. That's why it's called autism spectrum disorder, because it's a spectrum disorder which means that it varies. Just like not every single person is the same. Not every single individual diagnosed with autism is the same. And so you're gonna have differing uh, characteristics and traits and tendencies. In the update, you talk about how you have so much to say. Mm, Yeah. How do you feel poetry is helpful to you and possibly to other autistic people in sharing your voice? Right, yeah. That's the thing, and and that's kind of where uh, I'm glad you touched on that, Doug, and that I've shared a tiny bit of it, but I think it goes back to the notion of vulnerability as well as what I'm doing with Ad Poet Society, as I've mentioned, which you can, there's still 
some room there's limited enrollment um but you can there you can sign up for that for uh, autistic addicts and uh, recovery using poetry as a self-exploration means and we're using zoom for that um so first off i find that you know i do have so much to say of course on the the very literal level uh there's you know when i'm unable to speak and articulate as in the poem the update as it's describing where i literally can't voice the things to someone if i'm on a conversation with them and i can't get up but there's also another level that you know, if you look at it, widen what the, the poem is about as not just the physical, physical experiences that happened to me that, wow, why can't, um, we need an update in our conception of autism, um, just like we were talking about. And, you know, what do we need to change that? I have so much to say, you know, uh, and I have so much to hear, to hear from other people. The thing is that a lot of people, because of the way they conceive of autism and not truly understand what a spectrum disorder is, shut down individuals with autism and think that somebody is acting out when they're expressing something in a different way than you normally would find with somebody who isn't on the autism spectrum. In fact, as a result of that, we lead to this belief of higher cognitive functioning individuals on the autism spectrum because we're used to looking at things in one particular way. As a result of that, we're not listening to other people on autism literally tell us what they need because we're not tuned into that because we're looking at language in one particular area. As a result of that, this creates this whole conception that doesn't allow that particular area, as well as like the inner voice I'm talking about internal to me that we all have, to be further honed so that somebody can grow and persevere and be able to develop their strengths and utilize their weaknesses as strengths. As a result, instead, individuals with autism aren't being vulnerable and continuing to express their ways that they best express themselves. And a consequence of that, there, there is, I have so much, there is so much to hear. Um, I have so much to hear. I literally hope that my book becoming vulnerable as well as the class at poet society helps other people to break out of that, to realize that, wow, let me express things in, in certain ways. Because you know what, they have stuff to say and I'm willing to listen in whatever language or form. Let's do this together. Let's do this together. And then maybe we can kind of change the way this looks at. And because, because of this current schema or current schema of how we think of listening, as this very, very limited thing and our lack of understanding, it forces us to create an, a, a world, or as particularly America as well, but the world in a particular way such that individuals on the autism spectrum are less likely to have jobs, which is incredibly difficult as a result of these COVID-19 times of an economy that we live in. So consequence of all of this, all for not listening, a lot of people aren't able to receive the help. 
fortunately, I've had a therapist, a remarkable therapist that I've had since I was five years old. And the same therapist, I'm 26 now, and she listened. She listened to that language in that way. So I was able to persevere because that was fostered and cared for. And I was able to grow that. Because if I didn't have that individual, there is no way in HTLL that I would ever be able to articulate what I am articulating to you now. So I want to find those people so that I can help them to find who their voice and to be vulnerable. And so we can change the system. Because if I wasn't able to articulate, if I hadn't found that individual, if whatever, there is no way that I would be on the phone with you, I would be uh, recording this with you now, or listeners wouldn't be, you know, tuning in and listening to this. And, you know, I wouldn't have this book becoming vulnerable about my experience of autism, addiction, sobriety, and spirituality. And who knows what would have happened. So because people wouldn't be investing in jobs or all these things. And it's great that organizations like the Miracle Project uh, Neuroclastic Inc., uh, a nonprofit uh, that uh, was formerly a cultural site called the Aspergian, which is based in the UK. For example, they hire um, their their team. Their board member is all people on the autism spectrum. No board member is all of them are on the autism spectrum, which is important and something unique. You know, let, let's because a lot of organizations and things don't look at it in this particular way. There's still this notion that we need somebody who isn't with autism to translate because there's something wrong because they aren't listening. So if anything, I hope you dog and you know, whoever listens to this isn't just listening in this limited sense, but in this rather wide scope that is far more encompassing. Absolutely. I, I've said it so many times that autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience. And thinking about that, you've mentioned a few times already about um, starting a neurodiverse poetry class for adults in recovery from addiction and, yes. and that are interested in creative self-exploration. Can you talk about the importance of that class? So this is a completely new thing. This is the pilot of the first class. However, there are, um, so there are open spaces. Um, in fact, if depending on when this views, the very first class of the of the first seven week uh, course uh, session is tomorrow, and you can find more at the at the Miracle Project uh, org and look that up. Um, so we. This is a completely new thing. And what's great is that the Miracle Project, because especially it's tough in these COVID-19 times for a lot of different organizations, great organizations like the Miracle Project, like Art of Autism, uh, founded by Deborah uh, Musicar and, uh, and uh, Carrie Bowers, a lot of different organizations, they really need funds and donations in order to be able to create, create these great programs as well as to pay staff and do these things and test it out. So really, it's that support uh, is necessary because a lot of programs, a lot of uh, 
you know, things are being cut off um, as a result of these harsh economic times. So um, a lot more support is needed so that we can have those results. But I can speak from my own experience that, you know, from utilizing the process that I did in becoming vulnerable is kind of the aspects of, of what I'm going to do. I'm going to take what I've learned and developed in writing my book and, and more from poetry and apply that with some other great individuals for the class and test it out. I can also let you know that the, a review of the book uh, is up at theartofautism.com uh, and it's with the, then hyphen, art, hyphen, uh, of, hyphen, uh, autism.com. And the person who wrote that review, uh, Kimberly Gary Tucker, she wrote it and I didn't realize even, you know, like, boom, you know, that, so she talked about and she said that, wow, in writing this review, you know, I too struggled with addiction, you know, in my earlier years. And I didn't realize that, you know, thank you, Joshua, for being vulnerable about this. Maybe I'm going to be vulnerable about this too. And she's also um, autistic. So that's really cool that somebody else already in reviewing my book, and I had no clue, literally opened up publishing online on Twitter, on her personal blog, on the Art of Autism site, and this was also retweeted, the information, the quotes of these. Uh, Steve Silverman, with his 100,000 viewers, retweeted that. So did Palette Poetry. Uh, Kim Harvey, who's part of Palette Poetry. These people are already realizing, wow, this has an impact. That in somebody writing a book review already, they're already expressing to the world in many different forms. They're already letting people in and becoming vulnerable. So if anything, I think that's a testament to the power of vulnerability and that my, that I'm already helping people through my poetry. You know, that was a great story about Kimberly because I think that she won't be the only one that by you be becoming vulnerable and, and sharing your vulnerability with others, you're giving other people the the almost your power f for them to become to um, share their vulnerability. Exactly, it's a, it's a gift. It, it keeps giving, you know, and, and that's how we kind of change things little by little uh, through vulnerability and through open mindedness and sharing, which really takes a lot of courage. And so courage is really what we need in, in, in these times. You know, a lot of people are scared also. I, I don't potentially actively seek situations purposely to have that experience. I still can kind of like, let me practice some self-care, which is also important. Um, and it's something that I can even struggle with as someone, um, uh, not just somebody on the autism spectrum disorder as a recovering addict, but also as a human being. Self-care can be a challenge, uh, but it's also a great reward when you do it. Absolutely. We all need to practice more self-care. And Joshua, I, I really appreciated the time today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Doug, for having me on. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode, and thank you so much to Joshua for the conversation. 
Being vulnerable is an important skill for all of us to continue to develop, and this conversation was such a great reminder of that. Modern life is challenging for anyone right now. However, when you're autistic, the world isn't designed with your unique traits in mind, and everyday demands can feel insurmountable. At Autism Personal Coach, we celebrate neurodiversity by empowering adults and teens to be the best version of their authentic selves. The people we serve are the real experts. We're here to help make your goals a reality. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Robin Jacks about his neurodiverse record label. Talk to you then.